This is The Guardian. Today, despite the vaccines and the hot weather, COVID cases are surging. How the virus is reinventing itself and how to fight it. Many people wonder if COVID-19 will ever go away entirely or is it here to stay? Well, some new research shows coronavirus could evolve with the season, just like flu season. Would this possibly become a, a seasonal cyclic thing? And I've always indicated to you that I think it very well might. This is the summer. It all came back. Festivals, cinemas, holidays overseas when COVID was meant to disappear into the rearview mirror. A normal life has come back, but a year since Freedom Day, the dropping of all restrictions in the UK, COVID is still here. It's everywhere. COVID, it seems, doesn't care whether it's hot or cold. We may be in the midst of a heat wave, but we're also in the middle of a new COVID wave. COVID cases in the UK are continuing to surge with latest figures showing an increase of nearly 800,000 in the last week. One in 16 people in Scotland were estimated... I know about a dozen people who have the virus right now. I'm wondering if I might have had it last week. And Hannah Devlin, the Guardian science correspondent, has just recovered from it. You know, for, for me, I'm healthy, I've had all my jabs, and I, I'm pretty sure I've had COVID before. Her vaccines and spending less time indoors with the hot weather didn't stop her getting infected. I think that's one of the things that feels really strange. We're, we're not really used to being ill with flu-like symptoms in July. It felt really odd to be, you know, basically lying in bed with the sun outside and all sorts of summery things going on, but feeling really um, sort of feverish and shivery. Um, that, that felt quite strange. Just when we hoped we understood COVID-19 and could start forgetting about it, the virus has come roaring back. It's evolving, finding new ways to outsmart our immune systems. And to beat it, we'll need to evolve the way that we deal with it. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, how COVID keeps surprising us and still making so many people sick. Hannah Devlin, you're the Guardian science correspondent, and you told me what happened to you, and I can see what's happening around me, but tell me about the statistics. What is the picture we're currently seeing when it comes to COVID cases in the UK? Yeah, so we're in the middle of another really big wave of infections in the UK at the moment. The official figures that came out on Friday showed that one in 19 people had COVID the previous week. So that's... Wow. 3.5 million people overall. And, and that's not quite as high as the kind of absolute peak that we've had in April when there was one in 13 people who had COVID, but it's still an incredibly large number of people that have been affected. And Hannah, this one in 19 figure, how do we get at that? Because I mean, I know a lot of people who have tested and have COVID, but they've done the tests at home. So I mean, how does the government know that they've had it? So 
the government is not just relying on people doing home tests. So earlier in the pandemic, it was the case that we had would have a reliable or fairly reliable daily figure for a number of cases based on people doing tests and then reporting those results. But now we're more reliant on um, surveillance programmes. And in particular, the Office for National Statistics runs this big surveillance programme where they go out and randomly test people. And then they kind of multiply that up to find out an estimate of how, how much COVID there is around at the moment. So that should be an accurate picture of, of the prevalence at the moment. But on an individual level, there's a lot of people out there who don't know they've got it because there aren't free tests available anymore. Hmm. Okay, one in 19 is a pretty staggering number. But what are we seeing in terms of deaths? So at this point, we're not seeing deaths um, kind of go up dramatically with case numbers. But we are seeing an increase in people going to hospital. So there has been a rise from sort of around 2,000 cases in June to around 4,500 hospitalisations last week. So this is having quite a big health impact, even though we're not seeing a kind of... If you looked at a graph of deaths, you wouldn't see a big spike as cases have risen. But it is leading to some people getting very ill still. And... How do those numbers, especially the deaths, compare to these earlier stages of the pandemic that we've all lived through? So I guess we've had such an extreme experience over the past couple of years that maybe this doesn't feel so dramatic. You know, we think we've just passed in the UK 200,000 people having died from COVID. So that's, you know, an absolutely enormous number. We're not seeing a kind of big pickup in deaths now. and um, That's not our main concern because vaccinations have kind of done that job. They're protecting people or most people from dying from COVID. But what we are still seeing is a lot of illness, which is, is kind of this lower level grinding pressure on health services and society more generally. Okay, so that's the picture now. Not a lot of death, but a lot of COVID and people having to miss work and school and life. But the thing I keep thinking is, it wasn't meant to be this way. It's summer and we're spending a lot of time outdoors. So many people are vaccinated or have had COVID before. This was meant to be the time when the virus faded into the background, but that's clearly not what's happening. Has this surprised experts? Do they know what's going on? Yeah, so there's a a few different factors there. I spoke to um, one epidemiologist who he worked on a, um, a kind of really landmark paper on COVID that came out very early in the pandemic, which was predicting that COVID would be a seasonal infection. Um, and, and, you know, this was like April 2020. There was hardly any information to go on at the time. But I think for a lot of people, that was a moment where uh, they realised this wasn't going to just be one or even two waves. This was going to be something that came back year after year and that we'd be dealing with for ages. And now it feels like almost it's gone even further than that. Like when I went back and spoke to him, he he says that he's been surprised not by the fact that it's coming back year after year, but by how many waves we're having each year and how that might carry on way into the future. And... Do they know why these waves are now reoccurring so quickly that they're actually crashing up against each other? 
one of the key things here is that we're not just dealing with a virus that is fixed in the form that it arrived. It's something that's changing all the time. And so when any person gets infected with COVID and the virus is floating around in the system, it will be mutating all the time. And most of the time, those mutations will just be little random changes that don't make it any better or worse at surviving and being passed on to other people. But every now and then, a change will happen that gives that virus a little bit of an advantage and makes it maybe be passed on a little bit quicker or makes it survive a little bit better in the air and gives it a better chance of spreading to someone else. And when those kind of mutations occur, those particular strains of virus will be selected for because they'll be fitter than the other viruses that have gone before them. And so those ones will be passed on to more people and um, they'll spread around the world quicker. And so that's why we're constantly seeing um, this increase in transmissibility. The virus is getting better able to spread in humans and at some point it will reach a kind of optimal state of fitness for transmitting in people it'll have kind of settled into its um, you know host relationship with humans but we don't know exactly where that ceiling is we don't know how much more transmissible it's going to get and how much better it can get at, at evading um, immunity from previous infections um, so these scientists are constantly battling a moving target at the moment and it's probably going to um, stay in that moving situation for, for quite a while to come. The worst COVID subvariant so far is here and doctors say the BA5 strain comes with more problems that impact all of us. We've been dealing with COVID for more than two years, so why is this strain so much worse? Let's talk about the particular variant that we're all dealing with now in the summer of 2022. What is it and how does it behave? Yeah, so basically all the variants in circulation at the moment are little offshoots from the Omicron variant, which emerged sort of late last year, just in the lead up to Christmas. And so all of the current strains, so we've got BA4, BA5, which are the main ones. And then there's a, a new one that's been in the ascendancy called BA 2.75, which some people have called the Centaurus. Th those are all offshoots of the main kind of Omicron um, group. And that accounts for, you know, the vast majority of COVID that's in circulation. Right. So what we're dealing with now is not a whole new variant. It's like evolved versions of the Omicron strain that ruined a lot of Christmases. What do we know about these sub-variants? How do they behave? So I think one of the surprises has been how easily it, it seems to be to get reinfected with this new batch of variants that have come along. BA5 has proven to be a very wily variant, able to, at times, slip past some of our current defences, the protections we get from vaccines and from previous infections. A lot of people, I think, assumed that once then you'd been infected with Omicron, then you'd be kind of better protected against other Omicron strains um, going forward. We are seeing a lot of reinfections within months of prior infections. It's a reminder that an infection does not give you lifelong immunity. It's also a reminder that we're seeing rapid evolution of a virus that's trying to escape that prior infection immunity. But it does seem as though this latest series of variants like BA4 and BA5 that have come along almost leave less of an imprint on your immune system. 
That's really interesting. That the way in which the virus is evolving, improving itself, is to leave less and less of an imprint on the immune system. And so now you can get it and get sick and then catch it again as soon as a few weeks later. Yeah, so um, in Australia this month, they put out advice that people have been infected as soon as 28 days after a previous COVID infection. Good evening. We've long thought having had COVID bought us a few months of immunity. But tonight that's been turned on its head. New variants mean you can catch the virus again in as little as four weeks, building pressure on the Prime Minister to... That is part of what is driving these waves that are quite close together. The fact that you don't have this kind of enduring immunity to um, being infected. And do we know about how this variant affects people in comparison to earlier versions of the virus? Like, should we still be watching for sore throats, coughs, fevers, that kind of thing? It feels like it's a sort of ever-evolving list of symptoms. Um, The ZOE app, which uh, scientists at King's College London have developed, which um, is kind of like a symptom tracker. They have lots of people registering their cases. So it still includes things like feeling feverish, having a temperature. It can be like a sore throat and a cough, but, but also then cold symptoms, tiredness. It's a pretty wide range of things that you might get. And then, of course, some people are still completely asymptomatic, so they're infected, but they just don't realise. Okay, so the symptoms are basically everything, and you can possibly get reinfected as soon as 28 days after the last time you were sick. But I'm trying to find some good news here. Can we at least say that those subsequent reinfections will be less severe? Like, every time you get it, it might be less bad? Um, So I think that was kind of the assumption, and I think it is broadly the case that people have been getting less ill if you compare sort of the first and second wave but it's not quite clear how steep that kind of downward slope is in terms of severity and it's also not really clear whether this is going to head towards something like the other seasonal coronaviruses that we have in circulation that have you know kind of predate the pandemic um, which you know the symptoms for those are much more just a common cold it's not something that tends to leave you feeling feverish and really tired. So it's not necessarily ever going to become quite as mild as as those infections, or or if it does, it might take decades. Um, That's something that immunologists are, are kind of working on at the moment and trying to understand whether we are kind of heading towards something milder. But, you know, what I think one thing to point out is that people often infect others the most infectious period is often very early on perhaps before you've even got symptoms so this isn't an illness where it becoming milder is like an evolutionary advantage for the virus itself because you're already spreading it before you get sick so you can still get sick enough to be kind of lying in bed but also be transmitting it it's really interesting to think of COVID as, as a living thing. It's like constantly trying to find new ways to survive, to get over the hurdles that we've put in its way. Do we have any sense, Hannah, of why the virus is evolving the way it is? Why is it mutating so quickly? What didn't we know about it two years ago that we're now discovering? Um, yeah, I mean, that's very much how I think scientists look at it. One um, immunologist I spoke to last week said we're in an arms race against COVID and, and we're still in the heat of, of the battle, that this kind of battle could go on for 
anything between a few years to a few hundred years um, in terms of kind of how COVID keeps evolving. Oh, my God. Yeah, it is, it is interesting to look at that. And I, I think, you know, clearly things like everyone having been infected and vaccinated has had an effect on what's being selected for. And, you know, one of the things that is being strongly selected for at the moment is being able to reinfect people because we've had this massive exposure either through infection or through vaccinating people. Coming up, COVID is here to stay. So what do we do about it? Hannah, there's a school of thought here that compared to earlier waves, you said that deaths are now way down, especially compared to the number of cases out there. So should we see COVID as something that might make you sick for a week? You know, you're off work, it's a bit of a disruption, but you get over it and just move on. I think that, you know, there is a sort of fatigue with both COVID and managing a pandemic. And I think, you know, most people have had a moment where they've just felt like, I'm just sick of this. I want to move on and just, you know, get back to enjoying life. But unfortunately, the reality is that this is an illness that is still having a big impact. You know, on on the individual level, getting COVID is now, um, it has a lower fatality rate than flu, which is one of the kind of big comparisons that we've been making right since the start. Mm. Um, And so that's obviously good news that we've kind of crossed that threshold. But the problem is that first, it's far more transmissible than flu. So a lot more people are getting infected each time we have a wave of infection. And then also, its immunity lasts less long. So we're getting waves of infection several times a year, not just once a year. So when you kind of add that all all together, cumulatively, it's still having a very big impact. In schools, I think pupil attendance reached the lowest rate this year, um, or at least since since the winter. And it's, you know, it's just so clear from how hospitals are struggling with staff shortages. Around 500 of the hospital staff are off sick with COVID-related absences. And this at a time when the hospital's emergency department is struggling to cope with a sheer number of patients coming through its doors. Summer or winter, the pressure is relentless. You know, ambulance services, um, one news article last week described them as on the brink of collapse because we've got ambulances queuing outside hospitals unable to discharge patients and these are just not pressures we're normally seeing in the summer so I think when you add together the sort of cumulative effect of COVID it's still having a a very big effect on society. I mean all of that does not sound great but what's the alternative like I guess lockdowns would stop the virus from spreading but they'd also be terribly disruptive like I can't see any government putting something like that in place so what do we do? Is there anyone out there calling for a return to social restrictions of the kind that we saw through 2020? I don't think any mainstream commentators are really calling for a return to lockdowns. And, you know, look, lockdowns themselves have huge downsides. There are huge 
consequences for children's education, isolation of older people in particular. You know, what happened in care homes was terrible, seeing people dying without relatives present. You know, no one is calling for a return to that. But I think, you know, it's not a case of we either have lockdowns or we have nothing. There are measures that you can put in place that are kind of in between that um, can still make a difference. And I do think that there's been a tendency to focus these discussions around things that affect personal freedom. So people kind of being for or against wearing masks, whereas actually there are other things that you can do that don't affect people's ability to just go about life. Things like investing in ventilation in public buildings. Germany, for example, has made new standards for ventilation in schools and New Zealand has just returned um, to having freely available masks and tests. So, you know, you don't want everyone just testing themselves every day before they go out. That's not as cost effective. But if you've got symptoms, you know, a lot of people think it makes sense that you're able to check whether you've got COVID before meeting an elderly relative, say, or someone who's clinically vulnerable. Um, So there are measures you can put in place that don't hugely interfere with day-to-day life, but that um, just give you a bit more control. That's interesting. So it's sort of this recognition that COVID is going to hang around in some form. And so we need to to make changes that might be at least semi-permanent, like better ventilation in schools or more freely available testing. And I guess a a sort of expectation that if you are a little bit sick, you stay home, you don't go to work and spread it around. Yeah, I think that's right. And um, it's kind of a question of how much you value health. And, you know, I think it it feels quite regressive in a way to just be saying, oh, let's just accept that we're all going to be a bit sicker some of the time. And, you know, that's what living with COVID means. It it does cost money putting things like better ventilation in place. But, you know, if you want to improve health standards, then, you know, some of those steps are going to be necessary. And what about vaccines? Because they've clearly been a game changer in reducing deaths from COVID, even if they haven't been able to completely stop the spread. But is there any hope that one day they might be able to help with that too, to actually stop people from from catching COVID? Yeah, so uh, as you said, the vaccines we've got at the moment have done an amazing job of protecting people from death and very severe illness, but they don't stop you getting infected. And, you know, even a few months after vaccination, they don't stop you getting ill either. So I think we're kind of in a game of diminishing returns from the current vaccines that we have available. It's still worth giving people a booster, especially people who are more vulnerable. And the government's just announced here that they're going to offer boosters to all over 50s in the autumn. But, you know, that's still not going to stop these waves of infection that we're seeing. So ideally, I think the big prize in the next few years will be a vaccine that can do a lot better at stopping infection as well as stopping people getting very sick. And are there people working on that? Is that something we're likely to see? Yeah, so I mean, there's definitely a lot of active work on that at the moment. There are some teams who are working on vaccines that would give broader immunity. So in some cases, they're trying to develop something that would work for more than just COVID-19, but also the other coronaviruses in circulation. Dr. Anthony Fauci is discussing efforts to develop a universal COVID vaccine that can cover, well, any and all variants. I don't want anyone to think that pan-coronavirus vaccines 
are literally around the corner in a month or two. It's going to take years to develop in an incremental fashion. Some of these are already in phase one. And the hope is that if you kind of got this immunity that cuts across a bigger range of coronaviruses, that should kind of future-proof it against any future variants that might arise. And then there are also people developing nasal vaccines. This is a COVID-19 vaccine, but not as we know it. Oxford University has developed a new nasal spray vaccine. How was that? You just had the nasal spray. How does yeah. that feel? Um, a lot better than I was expecting. I thought it was going to tingle. And the hope there is that this would produce a stronger immune response in the cells that line your nose and your respiratory system, which is kind of like the first line of defence for um, respiratory viruses. And the vaccines we've got at the moment, they produce an immune response in your immune cells in your blood, but not really in these kind of nose and respiratory system immune cells. So the hope is that if you could get a nasal vaccine, that that might be better at preventing infection in the first place. And if this is summer, what can we expect for winter? Is it going to be another tough one? I I think the big concern all along, and it hasn't really hit as yet in the UK, is um, that we'd get a bad COVID wave and a bad flu year combined at the same time. And that didn't really happen last winter because I think Omicron turned up at almost just the right time to suppress the the flu season. So people weren't mixing in the normal way last, last winter because there was quite a lot of anxiety around what was going to happen with Omicron and people didn't meet up as much as they normally would. You know, Christmas parties were cancelled for, for a lot of us. But I think you know, that could be different this year and there could be a lot higher number of flu cases this winter. So I think, you know, that's probably part of the thinking behind expanding the vaccine programme to offer the flu vaccine and COVID vaccine to all over 50s um, in the autumn to try and prevent that from being a really uh, unmanageable situation in the winter. You know, I'm thinking back to early 2020 when this all emerged and we hoped that it might be over by Easter or by the summer and and then by Christmas. Now, two and a half years later, COVID continues to evolve. It's just hanging around. We can't quite get rid of it. And I'm wondering if that's going to keep happening, that the COVID we're dealing with in the summer of 2023 might behave differently to the virus that we're all trying to deal with now. Yeah, I mean, I I think that it's kept surprising us as, as time's gone on. But I think, you know, I don't want to kind of devalue the amount of science and surveillance and so on that's happening and while it might feel surprising to us that we're getting sick in the summer you know there are scientists who are kind of collecting huge amounts of data on this they're tracking the different emergence of variants they're kind of predicting their arrival before they turn up in new places so it's not like we're still in a kind of world where you know every new turn is a total surprise I I think it's just a case that this is still a moving target and it's still got new surprises to throw at us probably. So who knows, maybe there will be something new that we haven't thought of that turns up by by next year. Hannah, Devlin, thank you so much for speaking to us. And I hope you avoid reinfection at some point in the next 28 days. Oh my goodness, no. (laughs) Thanks for having me on.
That was Hannah Devlin. Thank you so much to her. You can follow her coverage of COVID-19 at theguardian.com. If you want the latest on the Tory leadership race, listen to today's episode of Politics Weekly UK about all the reaction to the announcement of the final two candidates going head to head to decide who'll be the next prime minister. And there'll be more on that too on Friday's episode of Today in Focus. That is it for today. This episode was produced by Tom Glasser. Sound designed by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producers are Phil Maynard and Elizabeth Casson. Back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. <laughs>